hanging half a hundred on them at Owen Field. Or the run rules on the diamond at Love's Field. We're giving you the breakdowns, the bets, and the hot takes from the perspective of two former OU Athletics employees. You're listening to the Mainline Podcast with Tyler Burton and Adam Jaquez. Let's go! Let's go! 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 Let's go. Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. He's Tyler Burton. I'm Adam Jacquez. We just witnessed a, a couple days ago what felt like a retro throwback Oklahoma-Texas a game in the Cotton Bowl. OU pulls out 34-30 in a really hard-fought game. We won't talk too much about who had the exact prediction of that score a, a week ago on the podcast. You'll have to go back and listen to that, uh, but one of us certainly did. Tyler, how are you doing this evening? Adam, I'm certain about two things in life. Number one, Oklahoma only fears God. And number two, Texas fears Oklahoma. If anybody had a chance, if you're living under a rock, get out from underneath that Oklahoma football Twitter account. Just put out one of the best videos I think I've ever seen uh, in, in you know sports, you know, videography history. It's absolutely fantastic. Kind of chronologically videoing the OU Texas game week, going through the game day experience. Ultimately, Oklahoma goes on and takes down the Longhorns 34-30. Adam, I got to give you your flowers. We can't just skate by. You did come on this podcast a week ago, predicted Oklahoma winning 34-30. Job well done. Golf clap. Hats off to you. Uh, and I've taken a little bit of flack um, over the last 72 hours. I ultimately came on here a week ago and picked Texas to win by uh, by two touchdowns. Obviously, I went with the reverse jinx in, in this scenario. Ultimately, it came out uh, good guys uh, f- finished the right way on, on Saturday. But, uh, yeah, Adam, just I, I'm good, man. I, it's just going into that game, I, I told my dad walking out of the stadium, that's the best that I've felt about an OU football team the best that I've felt about a, an Oklahoma performance in, the st- in a stadium uh, since the 2017 Ohio State game where Baker and company went up to Columbus and handled the Buckeyes. So, But again, just, just a fantastic performance. Can't wait to dive into it. Just so many good things to discuss here on tonight's episode. Yeah, after really more than 12 months, 18 months or so of everyone just throwing dirt on what was really a live body in this OU program, the program, the coach and Brent Venables, the recruiting, the way Lincoln left, everyone kind of had just buried this program and said, it's done, it's over. Um, and I'm exaggerating a little bit, but uh, especially after last season, you go six and seven, you lose to Texas 49 and nothing. And we heard it all off season. We heard it all week leading up to this game against Texas around how there was no chance. Texas was years ahead of OU. Uh, they were the better team. They, OU hadn't played anybody, which is probably one of the dumbest reasons to pick a team to, to win is the other team not playing anybody. It's just like, well, you only play who's on your schedule. And OU had dominated, especially if you look at the spread, 5-0 and against the spread this year. I guess 6-0 and uh, really against the spread this year. And OU came out, and they were the more physical team. They looked like hungrier. And that's kind of what was almost more surprising to me was not that I got the exact score correct in my prediction a week ago, but I literally said, hey, it's kind of splitting hairs. Two really good coaches. Two quarterbacks that are pretty good, pretty even in a lot of ways, in my opinion. And so really, it just came down to who was hungriest, who wanted that victory the most. And OU had everything to to go for in that. They had heard it all offseason. They did the medicine ball workouts, so on and so forth. You alluded to it, a great way to open the show there with Danny Stutzman, the way they were fired up in that locker room. OU just wanted this one more. And we'll talk a little bit about maybe a rematch later in the year, but um, you just love that. It felt like... Felt like so often we'd been in that Cotton Bowl and OU hadn't wanted it more. And this year they did and they were able to come out on top. 
Well, Adam, I mean, it just kind of speaks on what, what Brent Venables has been talking about for the better part of the last seven, eight months. It's the, it's how far this team has come since walking out of that stadium in Orlando after they lost to Florida State to, you know, conclude the 2022 season. They heard all offseason about the 6-7 and seven record. Lincoln Riley's gone. Oklahoma football will never be the same. The defense was one of the worst. Again, even with Brent Venables being on this staff, you know, in college football, you lose 49 to nothing a year ago. Quinn Ewers is back. The skill talent, the the uh, dominant play on both sides of the line of scrimmage from the Longhorns. There were fans or there were media people out there basically saying, Adam, Oklahoma should be scared coming into this game on Saturday. They should just come in, have their tail tucked between their legs, and basically just try to save face and not get embarrassed like they did a year ago because that's how highly thought of that uh, this Texas football team was. And I still think really high of Texas. I think that we're going to see a second matchup between these two opponents in Arlington that first weekend of December. But, Adam, you hit the nail on the head. Watching that football game in the stadium on Saturday, I know that – I know that there were some some moments where both teams, you know, maybe made some mistakes. There were some opportunities where both teams maybe could have capitalized a little bit. But all in all, for 60 minutes of football, Oklahoma was the better football team on Saturday. I don't think if you watch that game, any non-biased fan of college football that watches that game didn't think that Oklahoma had the better quarterback on Saturday. They didn't have the better offensive line on Saturday. They damn sure didn't leave any doubt that Oklahoma had the better defensive line on Saturday with the performance by Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis's crew. So again, they heard all the talk. They read the press clippings. They got on social media. They heard Brandon Walker and Pate and some of these other people that were doing nothing but basically discrediting Oklahoma for everything that they've done up to this point. They, they, you know, turned that, uh, that noise uh, into, you know, good bulletin board material. They were able to harness that energy and they went into, they went into the Cotton Bowl on Saturday and they kicked Texas ass. There's no doubt about it. Really good football game. Dylan Gabriel, Adam, I'll throw it over to you. What more can you say about number eight? I feel like this is a moment where Oklahoma fans need to give this guy the credit he's due because he was amazing on Saturday. Yeah, clutch in the in the moment when it mattered most. Not perfect by any means. There's certainly a lot of room for improvement, especially if he is going to face Texas again. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was impressive what he was able to do with his legs. And I kind of think that, you know, going forward, teams are really going to have to game plan a lot differently around Dylan Gabriel and his mm-hmm. scrambling ability, whether it be design runs or, or impromptu runs. But that's going to change the dynamic, especially if you play Texas again. I think they probably assign a spy to him. That slows down, you know, what you're able to do on the pass rush. That's one fewer guys you're able to bring mm-hmm. to the quarterback. That's one fewer guy that you're putting in back in coverage there. So um, I think that's really going to change the dynamic uh, for, for Dylan Gabriel. If, if it's Texas in the future or just really, you know, Kansas, UCF uh, here in about a week. So um, I, that's that's really great. I, I'm happy for Dylan Gabriel. I've been one of his biggest fans. Uh, I, you know, I've not been a Jackson Arnold guy just yet. I think <laughs> next year I'm, I'm super pumped for that. But uh, this is Dylan Gabriel's time. He gives us the best chance to win, and he proved it on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely, Adam. Couldn't couldn't agree with you more. Dylan Gabriel was fantastic. This was an opportunity where, no doubt about it, this was the biggest game. This was the biggest stage that Dylan Gabriel has ever been on. You know, through his five going on six years uh, playing collegiate football. So uh, again. You, I, th- I think that this is an opportunity where we've seen elite dominant quarterback play, basically all worldly college football quarterback play over the last decade. Baker, Kyler, Jalen, Caleb, 
and with so much being made in the offseason about Jackson Arnold finally being on campus, he's the heir apparent, to, you know, QB1 of this football program, even with Dylan Gabriel, uh, you know, still on campus. And with what he's done through the first six games of the season, uh, you know, he's the number one, you know, he's the basically the, the offensive leader in the Big 12 Conference right now across the board. And then you look at this OU football team, the number one defense in the Big 12, the number one offense in the Big 12, top 10 both offensively and defensively statistically in most categories on both sides of the football. It's a, it's incredible what this coaching staff, it's a huge testament to Brent Venables at the head of the ship and with what they've been able to do in the last 10 months in turning this thing around. And I do want to give one big shout out here i've seen a couple of podcasts a couple other places that have talked about it but i don't think this guy has truly been given the credit he's due jerry schmidt when you when you see the transformation that this program has made from you know p90x benny wiley to what this to what this football team looks like how they perform you know the toughness the grit the physicality they kicked Texas's ass for 60 minutes on Saturday. There was so much going into this game about Tavondre Sweat, about Anthony Hill, about Jalen Ford. How is Oklahoma's offensive line going to hold up against that Texas front seven? You flip it over to the other end, five starting offensive linemen returning for the Texas Longhorns. You've got Kelvin Banks, you know, for a future, you know, top 10 NFL draft pick. Oklahoma's defensive line was dominant on Saturday, man, and it was a lot of fun to watch. I'm excited uh, for them to be able to use this bye week as an opportunity to rest up, to correct a couple of those errors that we saw on Saturday, get some of the young guys a few more reps in practice this week, and let's kick off the you know the back half of this schedule against UCF next weekend, and uh, sky's the limit for this football team. Let's do our walk the plank or uh, raise the Jolly Roger segment presented by CrimsonCaptain.com. Uh, that's where you're going to get all the good recruiting intel. Um, there's just a post, I think, about an hour before we hit record here. Some updates on 2025 recruits, some great film breakdowns there at CrimsonCaptain.com. So definitely check it out. Some really good information on both the current team and guys that are going to be a part of the team in the future. And so uh, this is kind of our stock up, stock down segment Uh Raising the Jolly Roger is good. Walking the planks, bad. I'll get us kicked off here with uh, my raising the Jolly Roger. I'm going to say, I'm going to give it to OU's national championship you know, prospects at this point. Now, is OU the team that you see Alabama or you see Georgia looking like in years past? No, not really. But I think there's a lot fewer of those teams out around the country. So kind of segment within a segment here, Tyler. I want to bounce a few teams rapid fire off of you. And you tell me if you think OU's capable or, or would beat this team on a neutral field. Let's start at the very top, Georgia. At this point right now, I think it would be competitive, but I would have to give the edge to Georgia. I, and I think that's kind of a big deal, kind of the pause as you thought about that and the competitiveness. That's different than years past. So I agree with you. I, I don't think OU would win that, but they have a good chance. Maybe they win you know, two out of 10 of those matchups, for sure. example, maybe one sure. out of 10. That's, that's a greater percentage than it was in years past. How about Michigan? I think so because I think that would be a matchup where Oklahoma would have the firepower offensively to go along with a more than competent defense. It would be the first time that Oklahoma's gone into the playoff in the last eight years where they've been able to say that they can rely on their def on their defense and not their offense being forced to put up 40 or 50 points to keep them in this game. Michigan would be a good test. Honestly, Adam, we can dive into these a little bit more team by team. But I think outside of I think outside of Georgia, I think Oklahoma matches up pretty well with any team across the country in terms of it being a competitive game where Oklahoma has a chance to win. 
Yeah, that's kind of where I drew the line too. Is like I think Michigan's really hungry. I think they're really focused. They've been in the playoffs twice out of the last two years. They've got some dudes. They, I mean, they really haven't played anybody good They've yet. Played but nobody. as we saw with Oklahoma, yeah, as we saw with Oklahoma, that doesn't mean anything necessarily because Correct. they're absolutely dominating everyone they're playing. So they're doing what they should do if they are truly a national championship team. But yeah, that's kind of the line there. Is like Michigan, Georgia. I don't know. Maybe Alabama figures out their offense a little bit more effectively, but. I don't know. Outside of that, I, I don't think there's any team that really, truly scares OU all that much. Now, I think there's a lot of coin flip games like Florida State, Oregon, uh, maybe Washington, even USC with the firepower they have offensively. I and mean, we know how bad their defense is. But I, I think those are kind of coin flip games that you're like, man, you, you like OU's chances in those games um, to maybe get a playoff victory or maybe you get lucky. Maybe you get a scenario where OU wins out. They're the only undefeated team. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they are the number one seed. They're playing the four seed who might be someone – I don't know, unusual like Washington, who maybe just doesn't have the same depth that OU does. Or maybe it's a Florida State team that OU played neck and neck with, um, you know, back in the bowl game. And then, you know, maybe someone upsets Georgia and and you're playing somebody unexpected in the national championship game. I don't think that this team is the typical national championship team is what I'm saying there. But I think the schedule allows for OU to easily get to the playoffs the rest of the way. And then the field is wide open. So my stock up, my raising the Jolly Roger there, has got to be OU's national championship prospects. Adam, curious to get your thoughts on this because this is something that I've seen basically all over social media. A few people on the message board have been talking about this. Do you think that it's fair at this point right now? Obviously, Oklahoma is a perfect 6-0 and to start the season, coming off of a win over a top three Texas team. Do you think it's almost a little bit unfair? Is it too premature for Oklahoma fans to just all of a sudden move the goalposts when talking about the expectations for this team the rest of the year? Because coming into this season, realistically, I think a lot of fans would have been happy. Some would have been happy with a 9-3. and three. A lot of people were, were saying, based on this schedule, you need to win 10-plus ball games. And now that you find yourself 6-0, and you've got the win over Texas – is it fair that this fan base and a lot of people across the country are all of a sudden thinking that Oklahoma, there's no excuse why they shouldn't run the table and find their way into the college football playoff? For me, it's not moving the goalpost because I, I firmly believe that OU should be able to compete for the Big 12 championship game. And if you win that, you go to the playoffs. And that's exactly where OU is right now, mm-hmm. headed in that direction at least. So for me, I don't feel like I'm moving the goalpost that much. I think other people are naturally going to do that. Every fan base, every team is going to do that if you are more successful than what you're uh, expected to nationally. So I don't know. I don't I don't give too much thought to that. Sure. What's your stock up, Tyler? Stock up for me. Um, I'm going defense. I wanted to go the entire defense as a whole, but I'm gonna I'm gonna focus right here on the defensive line. This has been a position group, Adam, where. You know, th- there's been a lot of good wins in the rec- in the recruiting game as of late, and you know, you even go back to as far as a year. You know, PJ Adebayore, David Stone, Jane Jackson, Nigel Smith, Wyatt Gilmore, uh, Todd Bates is building something truly special, and I don't think they're done yet. Obviously, with a couple of months left to go until signing day, but there's been so much talk about this OU football team in the trenches, particularly on the defensive line. That's been a weak point. For them over the last you know five ten twelve years and this is this has probably been the first glimpse Adam since maybe the 2009 defense where when you look at this team even though there's not you know a clear cut a clear cut you know maybe a day one or even an early day two NFL draft pick in that defensive line group every single one of these guys they just play so well co- collectively they play tough they play hard they play physical and the thing that's been the biggest difference for me Adam 
gone are the days where Oklahoma's only able to field maybe four or five guys in that defensive line rotation that can come in and you not see much of a drop-off where you look at it now after Oklahoma takes seven defensive linemen in the transfer portal, they've been able to develop some of the younger guys like an Ethan Downs, like a Grayson Halton. This is a defensive line group that is a strength of this Oklahoma football team. And I think that this is going to be a group that's going to have an opportunity as we move into the back half of this regular season to really kind of leave their mark, you know, on each and every single one of these games, because you look at some of these opponents that Oklahoma's got left on the schedule, Oklahoma defensively uh, should be able to kind of have their way with these offenses, maybe outside of Kansas, depending on Jalen Daniels status. He's obviously fighting some back stiffness right now. His question or his status is questionable for the game against Oklahoma state this weekend, but I like where this defensive line sits. Trending upward, uh, huge stock up for this group for me. Yeah, the most pressure that they've gotten all season was versus Texas. Like the biggest game, probably the best offensive line they faced, and yes. they got the most pressure out of it. That that's so impressive to me. And well, really, like PJ Adebayo, like still not not reaching his full ceiling there. I think maybe this is kind of the week where the coaching staff finds more ways to get him on the field. Sure. uh, Because that happens in the bye week. Maybe we see some similarities there in the running back room, perhaps too, with some younger players, but like this, this defensive line still not maxing everything out there. No. Um, So I, I I feel like a different, even a more effective defensive line could be facing Texas and Arlington at the end of the year. And I think that they're just barely starting to scratch the surface on what this defensive line collectively could be. You look at what they did, This weekend against Texas, what's been basically the the number one thing on the bingo card for Oklahoma's defense throughout the first five weeks of the season? It's what about the pass rush? Where's the pass rush? Where's the pressure? <laughs> yeah. Where are the sacks coming from? Against the best defensive or the best offensive line, the best offense that Oklahoma's played all season, this defense racked up five sacks, ten tackles for loss, and three interceptions on Saturday. Fantastic performance by Brent Venable's defense on Saturday, and. The thing that gets me super excited, you saw all the young guys that were out there playing on Saturday. Peyton Bowen causing a fumble, you know, popping Quinn Ewers, uh, forcing a turnover. P.J. Adebowore, I can't tell you how many, you know, second and long, third down scenarios where he was in the, he was making a play in the backfield. If anybody that goes back and watches the film on that final Hail Mary pass, P.J. Adebowore was actually the guy that got to Quinn Ewers as he was letting go of the football. So sky's the limit on what this team's going to be able to do throughout the you know the rest of the regular season, and I can't wait to see how it's going to play out. Yeah. Let's go stock down my walk the plank for this week. It's really any other team from the Big 12 oh. uh, rematching against OU or Texas. Um, we don't know if OU might drop a game here or there, but I mean the odds are against anyone else really making it to it's Arlington at this point. The rest of Texas's schedule, Tyler, I'm curious. I'll, I'll read this off to you. They're playing at Houston on October 21st, BYU at home, K-State at home, at TCU, probably potentially without Chandler Morris. Um, sounds like he's going to be out for several weeks for the Horned Frogs. Uh, then November 18th, they travel to Iowa State. My hot take is I think that's actually, I think that's the toughest game on Texas's remaining schedule. And then uh, wrapping up at home, I believe it's on Black Friday, Texas Tech at home. Any of those opponents, I mean, like out of all of those, who do you think might be the most likely for Texas to slip up to that could potentially prevent them from uh, a rematch? Well, prior to what happened in Stillwater last Friday night, I would have said the Kansas State Wildcats, but Oklahoma State kind of took them to the woodshed for the better part of 60 minutes on Friday. You go and you look at the rest of the schedule, six games, Adam. These are six opponents where Texas is going to be a double-digit favorite against every single one of these opponents. So really for me, 
because they're going to be so much more talented than all of these uh, opponents, it really just kind of gets into me factoring in, okay, what games are going to be on the road? Okay, at Houston, at TCU. Those are two matchups where you don't you don't have to leave the state of Texas. You're going to have a healthy dose of burnt orange in the crowd on, on uh, in each of those two stadiums. The road trip to Iowa State. And this is an Iowa State football team that, yes, Oklahoma just put up 50 points on them a week ago, but they did find a way – um, to, to actually knock off TCU and actually beat them pretty handedly. I think it was 27-14 to 14 in a game that they ultimately controlled from start to finish. So maybe it is the trip up to Ames where Texas is going to have you know possibly their hardest remaining test of the season. But again, if this is a Texas team that has kind of gotten over the hump where you can avoid you know a mid or a late season lull, you avoid slipping up against an inferior talented team, this should be a rematch of OU Texas in the Big 12 in Arlington on December 2nd. I don't think that Texas is a soft team by any means. I mean, they went toe-to-toe with OU, but OU still had the edge in the physicality department mm-hmm. on the line of scrimmage. And I think maybe K-State could could get there to try to play that type of game against Texas. They've got to work the kinks out of their system right now. But yeah. Iowa State's you know, one that I look at and go, man, they seem to, seem to be figuring a few things out there mm-hmm. in Ames. That one's on the road. You know, it, It's maybe a trap game as they look ahead to Texas Tech potentially. So I don't know. That's kind of the best way I can look at it. But yeah, it sure seems like Texas is is going to be a big favorite in pretty much every game that sure. they, they play from here. Where are you going for uh, your your walk in the plank here? Well, if there's one if there's one negative that that really stood out to me from the performance on Saturday, it was Oklahoma's special teams, particularly the kicking game. Mm. You know, plaster the punter having a having a punt blocked. Not really sure what the kid was being coached up to do or if that was something he just did on his own. I can't tell you the number of times on Saturday where, especially when you're standing in your own end zone, you can't catch the football, take two to three seconds, basically take your time going through the process of kicking the football. No, it's got to be catch, one step, boom, get it out of there. Oklahoma, if they were able to really kind of take advantage of some of the things and not, you know, basically special teams being a liability on Saturday where they got the punt block. There were a couple of other punts that, you know, traveled, you know, maybe 25 uh, to 35 yards that really kind of hindered, you know, Oklahoma's defense, kind of put them in some tough positions from a field position uh, standpoint. The punter's a big question for me. And then I don't want to throw too much shade at Zach Schmidt because he's been pretty good so far through the first six games of the season, but, You had a 45-yard field goal on Saturday. Okay, you miss it left or right. Okay, I get that. And I know that you were kicking into a little bit of a breeze on Saturday, but there is no excuse why at the University of Oklahoma, our starting kicker can't kick a 45-yard field goal. Adam, that ball landed eight yards roughly short. I thought that was a terrible call by Brent, though. I don't think he should have trotted that kicker out there well all i can say is i think moving forward if you're in fourth and five or less and you're inside probably the 40 i think oklahoma is going to be going for it you know eight nine times out of ten there's no reason why at the university of oklahoma you can't have a kicker that's got a strong enough leg to kick at 45 yards that ball i'm serious that ball landed a good seven to eight yards short of the goalpost on saturday so Again, hopefully, you know, maybe we've got to have some uh, some kicking tryouts on Saturday. Maybe we've got to poach somebody from the soccer team. Uh, but, yeah, special teams is definitely a, uh, a, a, a group that I've got to do the uh, stock down for. No doubt about it. Yeah. I, it's funny. I don't know if you felt it where you were in the stadium, Tyler, but right as they lined up to snap that kick, 
you felt the wind pick up. And oh, yeah. so yeah. it was like the worst timing possible. I think it was one of the strongest like wind points in the entire game. And uh, you just look at that and go like, man, that was unfortunate timing. I don't know if it still would have been short or not, but I just felt like, yeah, that wasn't really the right call to put Zach Schmidt in that particular situation, just knowing what he was capable of. Mm-hmm. And I, so I, I felt like that was the opportunity for OU to go for the kill shot right there. And I, if OU hadn't driven down the field with that minute 17 left and scored the game-winning touchdown, I think that would have been the story of the game of, oh, you had so many opportunities to put this game away and just could not land that knockout punch. They finally did, but mm-hmm. um, that could have been the story if uh, if not for uh, Dylan Gabriel's heroics there. Let's um, let's talk a little bit about something that happened a day after the game. <laughs> Danny Stutzman, Jaron Kanick, trolling Texas fans, trolling Twitter out there with their uh, fake tattoos. I don't know if they were like, you know, temporary tattoos or if they were edited on in the picture or whatever, who cares? But they got the little horns down logo on their leg. Uh, and of course they got all the kind of the crazy hairdos going on right now. Are you digging the look, Tyler? I mean, I think it's a good look. I think that it, this is something where, you know, these two guys are, they're, they're obviously, you know, they're, they're trolling the social media world. They're having a lot of fun with it. They're, they're building the, the Stutzman and the Canic brand. Um, so I don't have any problem with it whatsoever. This was something really good. This, those are two guys that you know took what happened a year ago personally. They've heard all the shit talk. They've heard all the naysayers over the last 12 months going into this game about how good Texas is, how bad OU is, how embarrassing that was. 49 nothing you see all over social media. And this was just an opportunity where I think they were blowing off some steam, having fun with the Texas fans. I think that the biggest, the, the funniest part about for me was not the fact that they actually got the quote-unquote tattoos. It was the reaction that you got out of the out of the Texas fan base on Saturday, uh, so it, it was a really good thing for me. I was digging the look. Another look that I was digging, Adam, and this goes into our sponsorship here, Adam. Red and West Apparel. You want to talk about a brand that is just firing on all cylinders right now? That we got our stuff in the mail. You've got the polos. You've got the t-shirts. You've got the the hat wear. Uh, Adam's uh, rocking a couple of those items right now. I got the classic retro Oklahoma Sooners hat. He's got the uh, the, the button up shirt right now with the Sooners logo with the the cursive font right now. If anybody that saw me on Saturday, I was sporting the red and red and West classic OU helmet throwback uh, logo on the on the polo on Saturday. Looks great. Felt fantastic. Didn't sweat whatsoever. Just all around fantastic apparel from the Red and Red and West crew. Uh, and uh, highly encourage everybody if you're not sporting them right now i know everybody's into the nike they're into the jordan but if you're looking to mix it up just a little bit especially with the holiday season coming up here you're looking to look uh look a little bit you know fresher as we go into the back half of the season go on over to the red and west store uh some uh, some pretty special stuff that they've got there for oklahoma fans they're linked in the uh, description if anyone wants to check out their website. I've got on this uh, retro hat right now, which I've gotten several compliments on oh, already. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, Tyler. This hat was worn on Barry, by Barry Switzer on his very last game that he coached. So Man. some really cool retro stuff out there. I've got the uh, the Western polo on. I actually lended this to my dad. Uh, his first OU Texas game ever was this past Saturday. So I lended him this, this polo to wear. And uh, I think he was a little bit upset that I only lended it to him and didn't give it to him. <laughs> uh, so I might have to uh, to buy him one for Christmas. They make some great gifts there. And, and they have teams beyond OU, too. Yes. So if you got OSU fans, Texas Tech, I think they've got Iowa in there as well. They may have a few others. Uh, I haven't seen all of them just yet. But um, great gifts uh, for, uh, for anyone in the family, friends, as we head into 
uh, the Christmas season. So, Tyler, anything else around the OU Texas game that you want to cover, point out before we we talk bets and uh, and wrap up the show? Yeah, a couple things here. In in this kind of, we'll we'll start with Dylan Gabriel. Obviously, one of the better performances by an Oklahoma quarterback. You know, in this you know this prestigious rivalry, there's going to be. That final drive is going to be talked about by OU fans, you know, over the next, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Going into that, there were, I mean, I was one of them. I thought that after Burt Auburn made that field goal, you know, putting Texas up by uh, three points, only a minute 15 left. I didn't, Oklahoma didn't have any timeouts. I didn't like the chances that Oklahoma had to be able to go the length of the field. And, you know, Eddie Radosovich, I think the the tweet that he put out on Saturday, or excuse me, on uh, Sunday, and had the Andrew Rame quote where Rame talked about how it was almost like a movie, how you couldn't have scripted that final drive up any better. It was a lot of fun to watch. And what Dylan Gabriel did, utilizing both his legs but also his arm, taking this team all the way down the field, finding Nick Anderson in the back corner of the end zone to put Oklahoma up 34-30, to that's going to be something that Dylan Gabriel, not just he and his family are going to remember for a long time, but that's going to be firmly cemented in the same category as the Roy Williams Superman play as you know some of the other you know all-time moments that we've seen by OU football in this rivalry so DG for Heisman are we uh <laughs> are we kicking the tires on this or let's give it a little bit no I think he's right up there he's going to be on every graphic that ESPN has this Saturday and everyone will be so quick to say oh Caleb Williams Caleb Williams and maybe Caleb Williams case is almost elevated because his defense sucks so bad and so everyone's really talking about how important he is to that team and how they'd be so awful without him but I don't think anyone out there thinks that USC is going to finish this year with you know, fewer than at least one loss. Uh, I think at least two based on that schedule. Like, this is a brutal schedule they're about to go through. I, I don't know if Notre Dame's really going to give them that big of a problem because they don't look that great. But, like, UCLA looks tough. Um, we know Oregon and Washington are going to be tough. Utah, Utah. is going to be a, a bear, especially if they get Cam Rising back. So, I don't know if he's able to win the Heisman if they lose two games. I, I think the the focus will turn elsewhere because – it's it's going to be so much about well Lincoln Riley's teams you know there's just a narrative there it's going to be sure. so negative so sure. I really wonder about that how about Quinn Ewers though he played a great game on Saturday in my opinion mm-hmm. he wasn't he didn't do anything necessarily flashy he had one interception that was really not his fault uh, there at the goal line by Kendall Dolby the first one I I know some people have said oh that the receiver didn't fight for it well like I don't know <laughs> maybe it would have happened either way but. I thought Quinn Ewers was pretty good. Uh, he set a career high for completion percentage. Mm-hmm. So any Texas fan that wants to say, oh, oh, you played the perfect game and Texas played their C game, like absolutely untrue. Like Quinn Ewers played one of the best games of his entire career and Texas still lost. Yeah. I'll take I'll take the odds on that, that he doesn't play as good in Arlington or rematch in that scenario. So Texas fans can miss me with that type of talk. Yeah, if you would have told me before the game, if you would have read off Quinn Ewers, you know, what was soon to be his stat line, in this game, when talking about the completion percentage, the yards, I would have thought that, okay, Oklahoma's in trouble. This, this is probably not going to go the Sooners' way. But then you factor in the three turnovers, you know, the 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 interceptions, you know, the Peyton Bowen forced fumble. I, I don't think that that has as much to say about, you know, bad decisions or bad throws made on Quinn Ewers' part. I think that that's just the playmakers that Oklahoma has, uh, you know, defensively. So, you know, you got to give credit where credit's due. But, again, Quinn Ewers is a very good quarterback, you know. I think that one of the things that was interesting, and I can't remember if it was if it was Teddy that was talking about this, but 
He was 31 for 37, but I think that you could make a legitimate argument that he really only had to make maybe eight or nine throws on, on Saturday where he really had to push the ball down the field or fit it into a tight window. Really, the rest of those completions were maybe just quick outs or quick slants over the middle or something that Steve Sarkeesian really just dialed up a really good route uh, in a play for Xavier Worthy to get open. So at the end of the day, Dylan Gabriel outplayed Quinn Ewers on Saturday. He made the biggest plays in the final moments of this game, ultimately propelling his team to win. Um, but again, I think that DG, he had his Heisman moment on, on Saturday, but you almost have to wonder, is there going to be an opportunity for Dylan Gabriel to have another one of those Heisman type moments, whether it is in a rematch against Texas in Arlington on the final weekend of the season before those final Heisman ballots get casted. But I think some of the, one of the things that is kind of going against Dylan Gabriel's favor is this starting this weekend. And as we move into later October, the first part of November, other teams in this country right now, particularly in the Pac-12 and also in the Big Ten, you're going to start to see some of these bigger, better, higher-ranked teams. You know, really their season starts. I mean, obviously you've got Oregon and Washington this upcoming weekend, Bo Nix versus Michael Penix, two of maybe the top six or seven guys in the Heisman race right now. And then, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, uh, Penn State, their season really gets going here in the next couple of weeks with kind of a round-robin format between those three. Caleb Williams, yes, he's going to be there. You know, if you were to, if you were making me choose right now who to start a team with, Caleb Williams gets my vote ten times out of ten. He is the best player in America. You, I almost kind of give him the LeBron James treatment early in his career. There's no doubt about it. He may not win it, but when push comes to shove, we all know who the best football player in the country is, and it is Caleb Williams. Now, unfortunately, USC schedule is going to have something to say about that, and USC's defense or lack of defense is going to have something to say about that. Um, even though you look at this schedule, Adam, I know that California, Cal is the uh, the 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 least quality opponent on their schedule. But when you look at that defense, so there's, was Arizona State. there's so no was Arizona. surefire win <laughs> when you look at Alex yeah. Grinch's defense right now. Uh, but yeah, I think that the Heisman race, um, it's going to shake out here over the next few weeks. And you just hope that Dylan Gabriel, as Oklahoma continues to win, continues to keep the momentum going at the worst case scenario, he's going to earn an invite to Heisman. And I know in his post game uh, press conference, he talked about how he's got bigger goals. That's not what he's focused on right now. He wants to lead this team to a championship, but uh, Dylan Gabriel, you know, the wheels are in motion right now in terms of that Heisman campaign. I, a lot of people are talking about the PAC 12 and how they might cannibalize themselves out of a playoff uh, position there, which is kind of, kind of sad and funny in the same moment because this is the best year the Pac-12 has had in a long, long time. But it is interesting. Like if if they cannibalize themselves, like that could take Bo Nix out of the running. That could take Michael Penix and Caleb Williams out of the running. So quarterback-wise, then you're left looking at Jordan Travis, maybe Drake May potentially. Yeah. Maybe Drew Aller, Carson Beck kind of plays their way into it. They're kind of far off the radar right now. J.J. McCartney at, at Michigan. Obviously, if he meets Maybe. both Penn State and Ohio State, he's going to have that logo. But I don't know. Like, I don't know. None of those guys really stir the drink of that team the way that Dylan Gabriel does for Oklahoma, in my sure. opinion. And Gabriel's got his Heisman moment. I don't think he needs another one. I think he just needs to put up great stats, and he'll have the opportunity to do that against a bunch of teams that maybe won't be all that great, potentially. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he can throw for 400 yards a game and three touchdowns, and he'll put up some good numbers, and that'll be what people look at on the graphics there. So, I don't know. I kind of wonder, like, if I think that's his pathway to potentially winning. It's still going to be a longer shot sure. because mm -hmm. those Pac-12 guys are good, and maybe just one of those teams will emerge, but 
they could very well take themselves out of the running because we know it is a playoff-driven <laughs> award at this point. Adam, that's a great segue. And let's touch on one final moment here uh, before we switch over to our bets segment. I do want to talk to you about Oklahoma's remaining schedule and the opportunities that Dylan Gabriel is going to have to put up some of those big-time numbers over the last six games of this regular season. We talked about Texas's remaining schedule. You flip the page over to what Oklahoma's got left. Obviously, we're in a bye week right now. Couldn't have came at a better time. Obviously, you're coming off of the high, the win over Texas. This is really an opportunity where Brent Venables can uh, let these guys know, hey, okay, let's let's enjoy this. We accomplished something really, really good, but let's hit the reset button as we move closer to the back half of this week and start putting a game plan together for UCF. You look at what Oklahoma's got to finish out the season. UCF at home, at Kansas, at Oklahoma State, West Virginia at home, which there's a really good chance that West Virginia is probably the third best team in the Big 12 right now. Who would have thought that? We would have said that a couple of months ago. Then you go to Provo before closing out the regular season against TCU. Adam, as it sits right now, toughest remaining opponent for Oklahoma as we sit here 6-0 and on October 10th. Man, there's, there's so many arguments you could make in so many different directions there. UCF, I don't think is one that I would consider there because I know whoever they throw in at quarterback is very turnover prone. And I think UCF is going to be a very good program in the Big 12. But sure. this year, they're, they're adjusting. So then you look at Kansas, who may be without their quarterback. I think OU has a very different class of athlete. It's on the road, but I think that's going to be a tough one. Mm-hmm. West Virginia, I, I don't think is actually that good, but they've won the game, so you have to th- show some respect their direction. I kind of think it's Oklahoma State. I think they're surging in the, at the right time here, potentially. They, they play Kansas at home this weekend. That could potentially be a win with Jason Bean uh, under center there. They go on the road to West Virginia, who that might just be a toss-up game. OSU finally settling on their quarterback in Alan Bowman, something they should have done from game one, uh, in my opinion. Then they host Cincinnati at home. Then they're Oklahoma at home. I wouldn't be surprised if Oklahoma State wins those three games and is on a a real hot streak going into Bedlam potentially. Mm -hmm. And rivalry games, you know, even though it's a lopsided uh, rivalry there, I really do wonder if OSU is Oklahoma's toughest game. Well, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of a tough one for me. I mean, obviously, if if I knew that Jalen Daniels was healthy, that road trip up to Lawrence, Kansas would be, you know, the clear-cut number one option for me just because that is, outside of Texas, probably, you know, the the most explosive offense other than Oklahoma in the Big 12 Conference. But with his status so, you know, up in the air right now, we'll see. Um, UCF, I'm not too concerned about that. Yes, I think from a starting 22 standpoint, they do have the, the ability to give Oklahoma fits, but – Coming off of a Texas win, I think that the immediate thought is, okay, this is a this is a, uh, a trap game for Oklahoma. How focused are they going to be? You've got the storylines between Jeff Levy and Dylan Gabriel going up against their former team. I can promise you this Oklahoma team is going to be focused on the Knights uh, one week from this upcoming Saturday. At Kansas, we've already talked about. At Oklahoma State, who I know that – I know that a lot of people have really kind of written Oklahoma State off, and I did for the most part up until they beat Kansas State a weekend ago. They're currently sitting at 3-2 and two overall, 1-1 one and one in conference play. But you go down and you look at Oklahoma State's schedule the rest of the way, Adam. If they can figure out a way to beat Kansas at home this weekend, okay, you're 2-1. and one. At West Virginia, to me, that game's kind of a coin flip, especially if Oklahoma State's finding themselves. Then you close out the season with Cincinnati, OU, UCF, Houston, and BYU. I don't think that you should just completely give up on the Cowboys uh, with six games left to go this regular season, but we'll see. West Virginia is going to be tough. 
I talked about it in the preseason leading into this, Adam. I thought it was Texas number one and the trip out to BYU is number two. I still think uh, going out to BYU in Provo to take on uh, you know the Cougars, that's going to be the biggest game in this in the probably the last, what, 15, 20, 30 years in that stadium. Throw the records out, that student section, they're going to be you know sauced up, ready to go uh, for, for Oklahoma coming to town. Maybe, I don't know, it's, it's the Mormon community. I'm not sure if the uh, if the liquor is going to be flowing uh, on that on that campus that particular weekend and then you close things out with TCU that they, they can't they're they're having a tough time right now finding themselves uh, obviously with them sitting at you know three and three on the season they've lost two of their first three big 12 games so um, as it sits here right now I'm gonna lean Kansas if Jalen Daniels is healthy but after that I'll say the uh, I'll say the trip up to BYU yeah, and that could be another potential Heisman moment for D, uh, Dylan Gabriel. Yes. Uh, that's surely going to be a 9.30 Eastern kickoff type of game. So, just yeah, it just feels like it's going to fit there. Yeah. Although I wouldn't mind like a mid-afternoon game. I think it would look perfect uh, in that setting there to go from uh, afternoon to, to night. Uh, well, as, to as, two, as two guys that are going to be traveling out there, uh, just in terms of warmth and overall body temperature, I hope the sun's out. So give me a, give me an early <laughs> afternoon kickoff. Uh, big, of, big 10 a.m. kickoff. Yes. Right? Yeah. Big 10 a.m. Nice little <laughs> parting shot from bet from Brett Yormark in the, in the big 12 conference. Let's do it. Let's uh, let's go into our best bets for the week. We had uh, not the best week, either of us oh. both uh, getting losing records. I'm maintaining my lead in first place, 16, 13, and 1. So I'm above 500. You fell below 500. You're 14 and 16 for the year. So uh, that means I'll go first with my first pick of the week. I'm going to take uh, the Bulldogs, Fresno State. They are traveling to the Aggies of Utah State. Bulldogs favored by 5.5. I think they'll be able to cover that. I think they're just a much better team. I think they rebound nicely after that loss to Wyoming and Laramie. I like it. I like it. Pick number one for me. I'm going back up to South Bend, Indiana, and this is a Notre Dame football team that's really kind of kind of reeling right now. Obviously, you had the you had the crushing loss to Ohio State on the final play of the game. You just went on the road to Louisville uh, and kind of got schlaxed uh, by, by the Cardinals. And this is an opportunity. Notre Dame coming back home. They've got a top ten team in USC where there's been so much talk about UFC's high powered offense, but they don't play any defense. Sam Hartman is a, is he really kind of a bust? The experiment him coming from Wake Forest over to Notre Dame. I think that this is an opportunity for Notre Dame to climb up off the mat, and I think that Notre Dame not just is going to you know they're two and a half point favorites right now. I think they cover this thing. I think Notre Dame beats USC on Saturday. I wanted to pick that, but it felt like bait uh, just with my emotions. Yeah, just with my emotions there and wanting Notre Dame to do that. So I stayed away from it. I'm going to go with BYU going on the road to Cowtown, taking on the Horned Frogs. The uh, Cougars are four-and-a-half-point dog in Fort Worth, and I feel like the wrong team's favorite here, with, especially with Chandler Morris being out, TCU going to their backup, Hoover there. So I think the Cougars are going to be able to come out with a, a solid victory here. I think they will be at a talent disadvantage at most positions on the field, but at the most important position, they will have at least someone that's that's experienced and be able to get them to W. So give me the Cougars to cover four and a half. I like it. Pick number two for me. I'm going out to the ACC, the Wolf Pack of NC State, traveling up to Durham to take on the Duke Blue Devils. Duke favored by three and a half at this point right now. Uh, there was a lot of hype about Duke. Obviously, you had the big-time win over Clemson. College game day was in town for Duke versus Notre Dame. Really tough, physical, hard-fought game. Ultimately, the Blue Devils fall by seven to the Fighting Irish. They're coming off of a bye week, playing back at home against NC State. Give me Duke. 
to cover the three and a half number. I think they bounce back in a big way uh, and get back in the win column. First college football game I ever attended was Phillip Rivers at Wallace Wade Stadium taking on the Duke Blue Devils. Nice. And it's crazy to think that Duke is the favorite team here and a pretty safe uh, pick to cover the spread there. I'm going to go to uh, kind of my old friend here, Iowa, a team that I bet on three times this year. I think I'm one and two overall, so they haven't been favorable to me, but I, I just can't I can't stay away from those <laughs> Iowa lines. But this time, I'm not going for an over and under. I'm just taking the Hawkeyes to just keep it within nine and a half at Wisconsin. I think this is going to be a really low-scoring game. I don't think either team's going to have a whole lot of success offensively, but I do think Iowa can keep this one a little bit closer than 10 points. Nice. Uh, ne- next pick for me, I'm going. I'm staying in the ACC on this one. Wake Forest traveling uh, to take on the Hokies of Virginia Tech. Wake Forest currently a one-and-a-half-point underdog against the Hokies. And, Adam, Wake Forest, even though they've got a 3-2 and two record right now, you go back and you look at some of the games that these teams have played. Uh, j- just, you know, they've got a couple of close losses. They took Clemson all the way down to the wire, losing 17-12. to 12, And now they're heading into Blacksburg against, I think, one of the – one of the worst football teams in the ACC, definitely the worst state of college football right now with what the Cavaliers and the Hokies are putting out on the field. So I think that the wrong team's actually favored in this one. I think that Wake's going to go into Blacksburg and not just you know cover the one-and-a-half number as an underdog, but I think that they're going to win this game. So give me, the, uh, give me the Demon Deacons to upset the Hokies. Just no respect shown to the Liberty Flames there, being the best team in the state of Virginia, <laughs> 6-0 and after their win tonight. Uh, for my number four, I'm going back to the well here. I did a couple weeks ago with Nevada being one of the worst teams in FBS. I'm going to take UNLV. I know they're playing on the road in Reno, but I think they're going to be able to cover the 9.5. The Rebels have been a, a nice little surprise out in the Mountain West Conference, so uh, I think they'll be able to cover against the Wolfpack. So you're so wait you you cut out for a second you're taking you're taking UNLV, UNLV minus cover. nine and a half uh, to okay cover. Yep. okay yep. Uh, pick number four for me I'm going out to Pac-12 country for this one Adam Arizona traveling up to Pullman to take on Washington State Cougars currently an eight and a half point favorite as we sit here right now I think that this is an opportunity Washington State bounce back game obviously you had the tough fought loss to ucla a week ago you come back home against the arizona team that's kind of coming off of an emotional roller coaster they had an opportunity they took uh, usc all the way down to the wire ultimately falling in triple overtime the eight and a half number does scare me i wish i could get it at seven a little bit so it's it's always this isn't really a football number that you typically should bet but i think that washington state climbs up off the mat this upcoming weekend and i think that they beat arizona by double digits on Saturday. My number five, I'm going to the ACC. This one, it almost feels too good to be true. So I am, I'm a little nervous taking it, but I'm going to take Louisville minus seven and a half at Pitt. Pitt is coming off of a bye week, but Phil Jerkovic, their starting quarterback, has moved to tight end. So the Panthers are going to go to a backup, I believe a transfer from Penn State potentially. So that just makes me really nervous when Louisville's got, I think, the 17th-ranked rushing defense in the entire yeah. country. So that's going to be really a heavy burden on a backup quarterback starting for the first time. And maybe he is better than Phil Dracovic, but this Pitt offense has been absolutely anemic. And Louisville's been pretty solid defensively. They're surging right now. They are coming off a, a big victory and going on the road. So that does make me a little bit nervous there. But I think the Cardinals are just a vastly superior team here after I doubted them in the offseason saying they're probably not going to be the most – a surprising team in the ACC. I think I picked them as my most disappointing. So prove me wrong, Cardinals. Keep it going. 
<laughs> I like it. I like it. Pick number five for me. I'm going just down the street up to Boulder, Colorado. This is a Friday night special. Stanford, you know, going on the road to take on the Buffs. Um, Buffs got back in the win column over the weekend, going up to, to Arizona State, knocking off the Sun Devils, really kind of, you know, getting the, uh, the ship. Uh, you know, back on course, ultimately, uh, after a couple of tough weekends against Oregon and USC. If there's one thing that I know about Colorado, they play just a so much better brand of football when they're playing at their uh, on their home field. And I think that Dion Shadur Sanders, I think that they're going to use this as an opportunity to win their second game in a row. I'm going to stay away from the overall spread in this one. But I think that Stanford, they kind of have a habit of starting off the game sluggishly. And I think that Colorado, coming back home, coming off of a win, I think Shadur Sanders is going to put up some big-time numbers against this Cardinal defense. Give me Colorado first half minus 6.5 against Stanford on, on Friday night. Well, that's going to do it for us this evening on the Mainline Podcast. We'll be back again next week. We won't have a game to review. We'll be focusing primarily on the UCF matchup, national, you know, perception of OU and where things go in the playoffs, of course. That's going to be a continuing discussion that uh, we will certainly enjoy having here on the Mainline Podcast. So keep it locked in. Follow us on Twitter at the Mainline Pod and on YouTube by searching the Mainline Podcast. And we will see everyone again next week for another episode of the Mainline Podcast.